Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, Cleveland got to cleave. Uh, never believed in. So, hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. We've got a lot to get through in terms of news this week, and what a week of games it was. We've got the Hall of Fame, a couple of brilliant games to look at, some questions from you, the listener, and then on to our picks for next week. So, hey, we've got uh, Connor here, and we've got Ronan. Hello. No Harry this week, he is dying of the lurgy. He is more dead than the Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl chances. <laughs> <laughs> ah, now we'll we'll discuss that later on. I don't think they're as dead as you think they are. They've 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 taken as much of a shot possibly as that. Uh, I think Harry is both a combination of sick and uh, he had his annual expedition to the uh, to the brass band gig on the weekend. So. Uh, I'd say, I think the girls got into the house at about half four in the morning. So I'd imagine they were drinking on in, in Harry's until much later on. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he, I'm sure that has nothing to do with it, Connor. That's just a scurrilous thing to say about our most hardworking of all friends. That That's is true. That's true. So only crack with yourself, it's house all down in Cork. Ah, everything's going down pretty well. Pretty quiet weekend, but coming out, just coming out of work, just uh, late today after an hour-long presentation about Bayesian statistics. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. So now on to hour two of talking shite. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I had, a, I had a very quiet weekend of fucking shopping in Dublin. It was rough going. We were in, we were doing it like quarter past nine in the morning on Saturday to do the Christmas shopping and uh, got home at like half six, seven. Now, to be fair, there was like a good two hours of that spent in the pub and one hour spent having like a nice brunch. But, uh, yeah, there was a lot of wandering around town. Tried the new Lewis. It was exciting. Why did you deliberately join the Culture Crush, though? Oh, well, it was just that thing. We thought we'd get it out of the way that weekend. Uh, yeah. So we wa- wasn't, wasn't this the weekend traditionally associated with loads of Culture It is, it is, yeah. So we kind of, we targeted getting in early because I thought they all land on the Friday. So then they'd all be going out on the Friday night to coppers and stuff. So we might get in before them if we got in and got a lot of it ah. done before lunchtime. <laughs> Which worked, and then we tried the the new Crosstown Lewis, which was good. Uh, surprisingly close to the house, so if I've got a load of shite to carry, that'll do. But I suppose we yeah. should probably fire into all the stuff, because there's lots to get through. Uh, bizarrely, we have a different lead story from what you would expect. Uh, the Sashi Brown has been fired as VP of Personnel by the Browns after two seasons, following a 1-27 record, for which they are keeping their head coach. <laughs> Hugh Jackson came out and blamed Sashi for everything. Sashi stayed relatively quiet. And uh, Cleveland have hired, and I think I called this a couple of weeks back on the podcast, ex-KC general manager John Dorsey is their new general manager, comes in from the Green Bay scouting tree and good success in Kansas City. Uh, He was a very good talent evaluator, but there's questions over his cap uh, balancing ability. Uh, Not that that's going to be an issue, given that the Browns have over $100 in cap space. He he inherits 12 picks uh, this year's draft, including five in the top, top two rounds. And he landed in, and I believe you texted me about this immediately, Ronan, saying he immediately decided to lay down a marker and cut Kenny Britt for being shit. Good moves? Yeah, I think, like, if you were to, like, sequence two types of GMs after each other, and this isn't uncommon, we've seen this type of thing before, where you have the guy brought in to kind of sort the team out, overhaul the culture, gather the picks, and then success doesn't really come quick enough, they get fired... And then suddenly they're like, okay, we brought in a guy who was good at the business side or the kind of strategy side. Let's get like a scouting guy and a football guy in. And that's exactly what's happened here. Like John Dorsey had a really good record in Kansas City. They built a lot of talent. Uh, you think of like 
picks at the top, like a Marcus Peters, but they've also built a lot of depth throughout the draft. I'm sure you can talk about the, how much talent they've built over yeah. there. So I think this is someone coming from the Green Bay scouting tree. This is one which has a lot of success. You have Reggie McKenzie in Oakland, where he turned that team around in the GM position. You have John Snyder in Seattle, who obviously had a lot of good drafts to basically turn that team around. So the, the general, and, he, and obviously this guy's already has some proven track record. So I think for the Browns, the best thing is it's a football guy. So if this Hugh Jackson thing does work out, it'll be because I think him and John Dorsey are likely to see eye to eye. They kind of come from similar backgrounds. And if it doesn't work out, that's fine for John Dorsey because Hugh Jackson's going to get the, 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 the nail in the back next season. But this There's is this is the question though, yeah. isn't it? Like if they're going to fire the personnel guy who's, by all accounts, he's done a good job accumulated a load of picks, got lots of cap space for them like surely they're looking to turf out the 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 head coach who's won one game in two seasons and shit the bed this week yeah well of course like this week there's there was a lot of talk about the fact that uh, dorsey was up in the in the executive block with haslam mm. lots of talk going on and of course the way that they lost that game we're not actually going to review the game but uh, to, to summarize like they basically gave up their biggest lead of the of the season against Brett Hundley and that's the kind of loss it's almost worse than if they had lost kind of straight up and kind of like got overwhelmed by Green Bay early on the fact that they went so far ahead and then threw bad like basically it's on the coaches kind of feel when you give the game away in such a dramatic fashion so like I, I think you know Haslam has put a marker down that he's going to keep you Jackson but it wouldn't be surprising if he was fired either but uh, we'll see I'd imagine we'll see more out of them by the uh, by the start of next season now obviously the other major story and it kind of bleeds into our main our next section on injuries is uh, Philadelphia's Super Bowl chances as was alluded to by Ronan at the start have been severely damaged much like Carson Wentz's ACL he has been confirmed to have an ACL tear this is him done for the season rather than there was initial reports that maybe it was just a stretch or a, or a mild irritation of some description and he could be back for the playoffs but no this is a huge blow as this guy was the heart and soul of the team his teammates have came out and discussed how important he is to them and I think pretty much if you watched any of their games you could see how good he was obviously it's terrible to see this happen does this mean Philadelphia don't have a chance anymore or what does this mean Philadelphia has been really good at building up a fairly complete team the defense has looked really, really good over most of the season, although there's been some more question marks against the elite teams in the NFL, like, like Seattle and this LA game. And they obviously brought in J.H.I. Their run game has been pretty strong, but there's no replacing a player of the caliber of Carson Wentz. Like, it sounds like a broken record, but all the guys who've got injured who were such major losses, like Aaron Rodgers or Sean Watson, the difference between them and just your ordinary quarterback is so huge that it can't help but not affect the team. Like the difference, like Carson Wentz this year has made some ridiculous plays that no, like, well, there's like a handful of quarterbacks in the league who would have even a poten- like any potential of doing the same kind of things. And these are the type of like players that are not only really good and make a difference in the sense that they're really good at their job, but they make a difference because when they get out of those impossible situations, it can't help but raise the expectations of the team, raise the expectations of the fans, and get everyone excited, whether you're Philadelphia Eagles fans or not. So this is just such a huge loss to this team uh, and the NFL as a whole. And while I think they built a really good team in Philadelphia, it's hard not to see that in a stacked NFC that this is the kind of difference that will make it hard for them to get those possibly three games now, like possibly have to go through a wildcard round now uh, with the situation in the NFC South to be decided. 
and that would make all the difference. If they can manage to secure a first round bye, that would be massive, but that's so much more uncertain now due to this, even though they have a fairly weak schedule. Pending the bye situation, still give them a chance, but they've certainly gone down from being like that, the overall favourite to maybe mean like in the kind of third, fourth favourite in the division, in the conference. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you on that. Like, as I said, a lot of people have kind of immediately gone to the woe betide, the, the Eagles are dead uh, with, with, with this loss, but as I said to you, I'm not sure entirely about that. Yes, I think they are significantly less likely to be able to do it. But there's also that thing of, I look at the Vikings team and what they're doing with Case Keenum. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't be able to maybe get two or three games like that uh, out of Nick Foles. Like, Nick Foles has had games like that. He hasn't been able to do it for extended stretches. But also, he hasn't ever played on teams that are as complete as this one like you said strong defense strong special teams good running games like if they can get home field advantage i don't see why they couldn't win two games at home exactly i think like they're good enough that they can still win games but i think the big difference is that if they get into a hole of like 14 points or something your belief that they can pull that back is just so much less now without someone like Wentz, who's so good at being ridiculous uh, in those pressure moments and of course when you're going into the playoffs when you're going into the Super Bowl those kind of situations are just so much more likely to happen because the quality of the opponents is so much better so I mm. think they could still front run a team and they could probably play from ahead but when Nick Foles has the game in his hand uh, and they're behind I, I just think Nick Foles is the kind of guy who might be liable to throw a couple of picks in a bad situation yeah you could you could definitely see that happening other injury news uh, we have follow up to the uh, use of li- linebacker Ryan Shazier his Taken back surgery, uh, his season is obviously over for the moment. This was more serious than people thought at the time, and there's potential talk about whether or not he'll be able to play again. This is a big blow to Pittsburgh, both in terms of him as a player, but also emotionally to see that happen to a colleague is very difficult. They've responded very positively and seem to be using it as encouragement, but obviously he's quite a loss. And the New York Jets quarterback Josh McCowan has broken his hand and is done for the season. McCowan was having a career season, so it's a big blow to him. Yeah, he seemed to dig it quite badly at the time as well. I think, mm. obviously, at his age, I think he's just happy to be playing well and getting respect still. Yeah, and you know, at, at this at this age, he'll probably get another year. But you never know when you're going to break down like like the other quarterbacks do yeah. around this age. I think I think uh, looking at how he's played this year, he's probably bought himself two or three years in a Charlie a, Char- a Charlie Whitehurst kind of oh, backup. Yeah, but I mean, role. like playing at the level that he wants to play at. Yeah, it, like you never know at that age that you could, your arm strength could just go at any moment. You yeah, know? of course. Other bits of news: uh, Seattle had a couple of injuries. Bobby Wagner is a hamstring, probably gone for at least one week. Uh, KJ Wright is a concussion, probably a week as well. Gerald McCoy is gone for the season with a torn bicep. Kevin King, John Ross and Jared Valdir are all gone as well. So we'll move on to um, our favourite part of this in every week, crime and punishment. What are they doing? It's probably felonies. Uh, at the end of the Seahawks-Jaguars game, there was a bit of a kerfuffle, Fitz. Your boys didn't comport themselves very well. I heard, now, shock, shock that Michael Bennett did not comport himself well in the loss and in fact acted like a little shit. Uh, Sheldon Richardson got involved in fisticuffs. Quinton Jefferson decided he wanted to try and fight the fans. I don't know if this team deals with loss well. No, like this isn't exactly unprecedented. I believe at the end of the Super Bowl there was a bit of shenanigans as well on the victory formation. So this game on the victory formation... And Michael Bennett basically rolled into the needs of the offensive lineman, mm. which 
there's a you know not unlikely chance you can basically tear someone knee that way. Yeah. Uh, obviously not good gamemanship there. Some would argue it's a football play, but they are wrong. Greg Schiano is wrong. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> uh, but obviously, like that all, and basically that engaged a massive fracas, and that fracas basically went on for three more plays and fifteen more penalties, and then of course it all kind of came to a culmination when Quinton Jefferson, a defensive lineman for the Seahawks basically was ejected and on the way out someone threw a bottle at him uh, and he basically got super enraged and basically was going to go full WWE five like security guys trying to hold him basically having to hold him back (laughs) and of course now there are talk about that Jacksonville may have had insufficient security for like basically for a game I'm, so, I'm sorry though like let, let's be honest right doesn't matter how many security guys you are if you're a security guy working there and you see like a 240 pound monster gladiator climbing <laughs> up the wall you're just gonna look at the go they don't pay me enough for this shit and just watch it happen like like I don't if, if Jacksonville they're just not used to, to the, the, the crowd actually being awake at the end of the game yeah if, if that's just a thing uh, and, like, you know, there was incidents earlier on in the game where objects were thrown at Tyler Lockett, for example, after a TD celebration. Mm. So it was just a huge mess. Basically, a victory formation thing extended for five minutes of just penalties, scuffling, shouting, and then, you know, this kind of crowd disturbance going on here. It was just a really ugly way to game. It reflects really badly uh, on those fans to a certain extent. But these players, they, you know, they should be used to this. This is oh, their yeah. job. And then they just way overreacted and it's too and uh, at the end of it it seems that no suspensions will be given out but I assume some very hefty fines are about to be given oh out yeah there definitely is well deserved and I think uh, like I said it's it's not acceptable for the fans to be throwing stuff at these players either and I believe Jacksonville is now banned or perma-banned four people from the from the stadium so at least they're trying to deal with it a little bit on that side as well we had a couple of bits in controversy corner this week obviously Tom Savage had a bit of concussion controversy he was allowed back onto the field after what was quite an obvious concussion incident he was on the ground his arm was twitching it didn't look good at all he was then back on the field coughing up blood and trying to hide it this was this was bizarre uh, the NFL and the NFLPA have said they're now looking into all of the concussion protocols surrounding him being allowed back onto the field their uh, coaches now came out and said if he had seen what was going on he would have stepped in he wasn't aware of it at the time he said that's not something he looks at that's what their medical staff is there for but this is this is a huge fuck up like this is going to cause not just potential issues for this team in allowing this to happen but potential shakeups to the concussion protocol as a whole, right? Yeah, like this is just one of those situations that reflects the league in a really poor fashion. Like the referee saw what was happening to him on the ground, where he's basically having the equivalent of an epileptic fit, where basically his, he was twitching, and it was very obvious that, or it seemed to be obvious that he wasn't able to move his arms. Yeah, like I thought, I, I thought that he had trapped a nerve or something when he went down. It just looked yeah, like, like the most generous assumption might be he didn't have a concussion; he just had major neuro like major <laughs> nerve damage and also you know major pulmonary damage as well i suppose technically they're not included in the hia perhaps mm. so he was perfectly conscious but he was probably you know at risk of dying uh from other medical issues but yeah. presumably those should also be checked uh, in the medical tent um that's the most generous interpretation uh, yeah 
But yeah, like this was a complete fuck up. It's terrible for the NFL. Obviously, they put a huge amount of stock in the idea that we take concussions seriously, that we take you know CTE seriously, that we're protecting our players, and to have something happen, especially to the, to the one player who gets the most protection, who is supposed to have like the most scrutiny put on them, mm-hmm. is just a damning indictment of of the protocol. Like you know, I know quarterbacks are like we have to go through everything. You know, you think of Matt Stafford and Ben Roethlisberger and Philip Rivers, these Iron Men type people. But at the end of the day. That doesn't mean that we should ignore their health. Someone needs to tell them to you know, yeah. fuck the fuck on and you know take them to the locker room and make sure they get the help that they need. Uh, in other news, NFL media has now suspended Ike Taylor, Heath Evans, Marshall Falk and a number of other individuals following sexual harassment allegations from one of their former employees. These have come uh, in... Re- in well, these were alleged a bit earlier on and they've now been clarified in a statement by the uh, former employee. The NFL media has suspended them pending investigation into these uh, uh, accusations. But uh, the, the, the accusations include reference to picture messaging and things like that that would be quite digitally traceable. So I imagine we're going to have much more hard evidence and information about this uh, in, in the coming weeks unless it's mysteriously settled out of court like a lot of these are. Yeah, like it, it's just a bad look for them. Like obviously they had issues where Michael Irvin with the incidents that happened uh, off the field, although that was of of an even higher severity in that case. Mm-hmm. So there's just a kind of feeling like if you, if NFL is going to bring these former players in, like you need to basically sit them fucking down and tell them this like locker room bullshit, which is a bullshit excuse to begin with. It's not fucking on. You're a like you're supposed you're a professional now. Do your job and don't get into this shit. Yeah. Um, and I think like this might have some spillover effects for a new media organization, uh, The Ringer, which I think one of their executives, the former NFL.com employee, is also implicated in this. So this could have knock-on effects not only among these kind of personality people, but behind the, 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 the scenes as well. Yeah, no. Uh, so obviously we'll bring updates on that as we hear more about it. And the NFL has also now mentioned that they're considering rule changes regarding targeting, the stacking of multiple penalty flags, fouls and uh, referee abuse punishment. This is obviously in light of the fact that we've seen a number of scenarios of disrespect to referees, personal fouls and things like that. And also queries over when someone is ejected from a game, should they then get a suspension, should that ejection count as... And just just a number of issues about whether they're taking these things seriously or not. This is obviously something that will be discussed more in the off-season. There, there's been some positive feedback on the potential for targeting rules, as that's something that already exists within the college game, but it's hard to see how it would transfer. And I'm sure we're going to get more fleshed out ideas once we come to the off-season. Uh, on that we've had some uh, trades news or I suppose extension news uh, but not the kind we normally have uh, Roger Goodell has signed a five year extension this comes with an additional is it 20 million dollars yeah like, we don't know how many private jets though <laughs> yeah like it was it was this is coming after obviously we discussed the back and forth between him and Jerry Jones Jerry Jones not very happy that Goodell was you know coming after his star running back for essentially sexual assault good man Jerry yeah scummer like uh, neither of these guys are great but uh, in this case Goodell was in the right I'm not sure if I love the idea that he's back for another five years but I suppose it's it's a figurehead we can all hate together I suppose I'm sure when the uh, NFLPA round of negotiations in 2020 come round that that'll be all the fun in the world we're basically getting close enough now that those type of uh, rumours around what's going to be in the next uh, CBA uh, will start emerging over the next few off-seasons. Yeah, of course. Fun off-season rumours, yeah! Excellent, excellent. Uh, it's like so... the Super Bowl of rumours. <laughs> Pro Bowl of rumours. Pro Bowl of rumours, yeah. 
Just a few other bits from around the news. We have uh, Devin Hester has officially announced his retirement. We already knew he was retired and we discussed this previously. But obviously, guy who changed the return game, literally they changed the rules about the return game uh, in, in light of him. Uh, very good player. Showed a bit of speed when he came into a team last year in a playoff run. But uh, this this was on the cards, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was just. I think it's just to close off that kind of playoff run scenario. He's like, okay, I'm officially retired. I'm not coming back for a contender when they lose their kick returner. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, and of course, in his in his statement, he managed to get one final kick in that like, get rid of this stupid thirty uh, yard rule. That's stop it. Stop giving it. Stop kicking it out of the end zone. Yeah. Other bit of news. Uh, I thought this one was fun. DJ Swearinger's come out and said that Mazungus are barely practicing at this point in the season, and they've just essentially given up. This this doesn't surprise me in the least. God, Washington are just a tire fire, aren't they? Yeah, and it's strange because like a month ago, when their you know playoff dreams were like technically live, but they were kind of uh, basically already on life support. They were playing really well, but the switch from giving it a crap to not giving a crap is apparently really over. Maybe. They know something we don't know about Kirk Cousins and are already like, uh, I'm not going to be on this team next year if I can help it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is doesn't look reflect well. And after a season, which there's been so many setbacks, to then have this kind of turnover on the end of the season is a very Washington thing to happen. Kind yeah. of ruining that goodwill they might have built with the fans. I believe a number of players as well have come out and said that they'd be interested in getting out of town. Because I think uh, Josh Norman has come out and said he'd be interested in playing for a contender. Which is strong words and someone that you're paying so much money to. Yeah, this... like you got to imagine this suggests that they are losing Kirk Cousins or Kurt Cousins, depending on which one they decide to try and re-up. And uh, like they just don't see any value to what they're doing here. Like, is is there that much of a disconnect? We know this organisation is a tyre fire, but, like, really? Yeah, it, it just kind of feels like... I don't know if the players know anything, but it kind of feels like they're looking at the situation in this organisation and they're going, is this a team that's building or is this a team falling apart? And the conclusion many of them are coming to is they're falling apart because those defensive players, Swearinger included, have mostly shown up this year... Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, like, if this team had avoided so many injuries in the offensive line, they might have been a genuine contender in the NFC. But uh, it seems that when things go wrong in Washington, they go terribly wrong. And I'm just going to blame uh, uh, Snyder because that's the only person that I want to blame. Yeah. Fuck that guy. That's fair enough. <laughs> uh, former NFL coach Ron Meyer died at the age of 76. And Rashad Jennings has announced his retirement, uh, ex-Giants running back. And uh, with that, because we had such a slate of them, we're going to move on to a new form of game review. So, normally we have a Ring of Honor, Neutral Zone, and Dumpster Fire, but this week, Jesus, it was a great set of games. We're just going to go for the Hall of Fame. We're going to go through about four or five games that we just thought were excellent. Uh, up first, Minnesota, Carolina, 24-31. to 31. This was a hell of a game, and this is exactly what we discussed on the podcast last week about Carolina, that they have that thing of they might not be a reliable week-to-week, but they can just turn it on sometimes. Their run game went off in this game, and... As we said, like this is a team that is moving what it mean what it, what what its identity is on offense, and once its running game is working, they are a very hard team to stop, even by a defense as good as this Minnesota Vikings team, right? Yeah, and I think the difference in this game is that they they trusted Jonathan Stewart a lot more than they have over most of the season. They kind of put away the toy of Christian McCaffrey, and they went, okay, we're playing Minnesota. They're a tough team. They're a physical team. Let's get tough and physical with them. Bring out Jonathan Stewart. Bring out Cam Newton. Run the ball down their throat. And if you do that successfully, you know you know that you open up the rest of the playbook. And they took advantage of that. So they 
got up a good lead, and once they were in the lead, even though Minnesota certainly put up a good fight, it's really hard to come back up against this team. And like Carolina, they're just so aggressive in that offense, on that defense, that I don't think anyone really wants to play them in that situation. You want to get ahead of them. You want to, for- you want to force Cam Newton to chase the game because I think you know Cam Newton, when he's able to run, when that makes sense in the game plan, it's great. But there's still major question marks over whether Cam Newton can do it from the pocket. He can make the throws when it's most needed in the in pressure when they know you have to throw. Uh, but you know this formula is good enough, and they're now in contention for a, for a, for a bye in the playoffs. That if they could do that, then this is a team that if they're on at home would be incredibly difficult to beat for any team in the NFC. Like, this Minnesota team, obviously, we still think they're one of the most complete, still have one of the best defences in the league. And obviously, we always said the limitation was, while Case Keenan was playing well, he's not a superstar quarterback. They do have their limitations there. Their running game can be hit or miss. They do have excellent wide receivers. But one of the things that was noticeable in this game is their O-line didn't seem to be giving them the time that they had beforehand. Was that a function of Carolina game-planning well against them and just bringing the pressure or is this something to do with Minnesota not having maybe the personnel to go for a deep run yeah well I think you know we saw last year what happened to their offensive line where it got absolutely eviscerated through injuries and it seems like at the worst time of the year it's not quite that bad they're not quite bringing Jake Long out of retirement this year but they're certainly starting to go down the line of their offensive line depth. They lost their rookie centre F-line for a while. Riley Reef, their right tackle, went out of this game. And I think any any NFL team, when it loses uh, the majority, or like two or three of its offensive line starters, you see a definitive reduction in their offensive production. And I think that's not unexpected. And I think ev- like even with those even with those limitations, even with those issues, with injuries, they still managed to put up points. They still managed to come back into this game. And if it wasn't for a few mistakes, a few like unfortunate drops from Thielen and Rudolph, I think this is a game that they could easily have won. But mm. I think at a time when the OL attrition was sufficient that allowed that really aggressive blitzing Steve Wilkes Carolina defense to really get at them especially on third down where they basically blitzed every time on third down yeah. that was where it made the difference uh, just made that small difference that turned the game uh, from being you know maybe even to slightly in Carolina's favour if they can get those back, back guys back from injury in time for the playoffs I think they'll be okay but obviously it's a concern when you start losing offensive linemen at this rate oh yeah so this keeps Carolina's hopes alive Minnesota is still obviously tipping away but uh they gotta now be thinking. They've got uh, they've got Green Bay coming back with potentially Aaron Rodgers, as we'll discuss later on. Whether or not this is something that was just Carolina's defense getting it done, or Minnesota starting to slow down and maybe cool down as it comes towards this playoff run. Next game: Baltimore Pittsburgh, thirty-eight to thirty-nine. Ah, oh, I called Baltimore as my <laughs> hero pick last week, and I was like, "Come on, they have this kind of game in them." And you gotta imagine that if they score thirty-eight points, they're gonna win this fucking game, but then they don't. So you gotta, I gotta ask the question: like Antonio Brown looked incredible in this game; like he was just everywhere that they needed him to be. Two hundred and thirteen yards and eleven catches. Like he didn't have the the, the touchdowns, but Jesus, he's on historic pace here. 
is he potentially an MVP and is this an MVP offense? It's, it's a weird year, like just thinking about the MVP race, because, you know, Carson Wentz is now injured. He's going to miss the last three games. He was obviously a major contender. Tom Brady has slowed down the last couple of weeks. His Achilles injury or that poor offensive line is starting to make a difference. And Russell Wilson is now on a team that could easily miss out in the playoffs. So when you look beyond that, like who, what other quarterbacks are really having a, an all-pro year, like an all-star year this year? There's no one really who goes, that, oh, that's an MVP kind of term. And that opens the door for someone like Antonio Brown to come in because there's not really been a running back at that level either. And Antonio Brown, the last few weeks, has been absolutely ridiculous. And this is like him playing on like a sore toe, I believe, like mm. a broken toe or something like that. Like, I don't know, he should break like more toes. Presumably, <laughs> he's just like, like break a leg, he's like, break a toe. Well, same difference. I'll just like do 200 yards and like, He's moving towards like all-time kind of records at this point if he keeps up this pace. And I think the difference was that like you know he basically stole the soul of Brandon Carr multiple times in this game. It was like basically three plays that looked pretty much identical over the shoulder, mm. uh, but Brandon Carr in trail and Antonio Brand was just open behind him, and it was just like it's so so dispiriting to like be a cornerback to do a decent trail coverage, and then Antonio Brown is still wide why, open behind Why him. didn't they just put three DBs on him at all times? Like, he was well, like, the offense. Probably, because, like, the, the, defensive, like the, the defensive backs in Baltimore are pretty good. They have two pretty good safeties. Someone, they should have been moving a safety over to Antonio Brown by default, but they chose not to. I think, like, Baltimore's zone defense was basically just eviscerated by, like, Antonio Brown. Like, it's, it, it, it's just hard to imagine... Like, and I'm kind of annoyed at the touchdown thing because if he had got more, I probably would have won a fantasy game. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just one of those situations where you're seeing a, a player. Because, like, you know, you see people like A.J. Green or Julio Jones and you see the type of, like, ridiculous things that they do with their bodies because they're such physical freaks. And then you see someone like Antonio Brown where he doesn't have those same things. Like, he's not like he's not a he's no slouch by any, by any stretch. But it's... The level of intelligence, the level that he plays the game at, that he's get, able to get open so often and read the game and his relationship with Ben Roethlisberger is so good that he just gets these bloody amazing games again and again and again. And I think that's a testament to it. Like you know, he's like the purest wide receiver for someone who's like, mm-hmm. like, like I'm not a wide receiver. I'm uh, obviously. Uh, but I'm sure for anyone who is from that line who understands that you've played a bit of wide receiver, I'm sure that's the type of play uh, which which people really appreciate because it's not about just being a freak. It's about just yeah. being best. So this is the thing. So they win. Obviously, it's good. Uh, the Ravens look very different. Their, their defense, still very good. Like, it was it was in the second half, or not even the second half, the fourth quarter that they fell apart, let's be honest. They allowed 19 of these 39 points at that point. Their offense looked to be humming. Alex Collins looked good in the backfield, I think 120 yards and a touchdown. They're getting production. If Even though no one's a standout wide receiver, they're getting production across the across the board here. Like, this Ravens defense is good. Its offense seems to be picking up. This is a team that could cause someone problems in the playoffs, right? We know Baltimore are a good organization. Like, you know, contrast this to, like, the Browns or the Red or the Mizungus, like the Ravens are a well-run organization with a good coach, with a good culture. And mm. even though this year they have like looked like absolutely like one of the worst teams in the league at time, you know that when it comes to the contending part of the year, they can sort stuff out. And they seem to have found a formula and offense that works. Running up the gut with Alex Collins, 
set up play action and make Joe Flacco throw it up, uh, throw it long. It seems that Joe Flacco has finally got healthy enough that he can actually make those bombs yeah. uh, again. Uh, although he still, like you know, the interception he threw, it still says that Joe Flacco, his decision making isn't necessarily elite uh, by any stretch. Mm-hmm. But I think that is the formula that, like the last time Joe Flacco was genuinely looked like a, uh, like one of the better quarterbacks was based on bombing it downfield, getting getting them open and using a tough run game and a tough defense to close the game mm. out. Like Joe Flacco is a complimentary piece. We know that. And I think they're, they're going back to that and it's working. Maybe that'll be enough to the challenge of the AFC, but obviously with the Steelers there, but, it's hard but, to see. But this is the thing. This is the, the thing. Offense. Like when you say like running the tight and closing out games like that, they didn't close this game out at all. It was in the fourth quarter when they just couldn't get it going on offense and they couldn't get kind of the first downs and needed to eat clock and the ball back. The, the issue I have is when I look at this Pittsburgh game, obviously it's a great comeback. They score 19 points in the fourth quarter. One, you shouldn't be trailing by 18 points in the fourth quarter if you want to be a championship-level team. But also, Ben Roethlisberger is getting old. Yes, he threw for 500 yards in this game, but he threw the ball 66 times. Lev Bell only rushed for 13. Normally, it's the opposite we complain about, that they're running Bell into the ground. It is not sustainable to have Ben Roethlisberger throwing the ball 66 times, especially against teams that will be developing proper pass rushes against them. Like, can you imagine how broken Ben Roethlisberger will look if he has to try and throw 66 times against the Jacksonville Jaguars? Yeah, but I think this is unique to this game. I think the Baltimore Ravens' run defense is probably uh, the best part of that defense right now because I think they lost Jimmy Smith to injury. I think that's made a huge difference. They've lost like their best cornerback. They're now relying on a rookie, albeit a first-round rookie, and Brandon Carr to shore up. And I think, you know, you know, obviously Antonio Brown is ridiculous, so you can't blame them completely. But like Pittsburgh Steelers are probably the best team in the AFC on form right now. So, so you can't blame them when, you know, a team that has Ben Roethlisberger, Le'Veon Bell, and Antonio Brown actually manages to do something to you. So blame this, put this one down to Antonio Brown. Uh, I wouldn't like write off the Baltimore Ravens defense against anyone else just yet. Yeah, uh, game three, Philadelphia at LA Rams, forty-three to thirty-five. Uh, this was again an excellent game, marred somewhat with the uh, with the injury that happened to Carson Wentz uh, at the tail end. This was potentially showing a weakness in the LA Rams team that if you can put up a bit of a stout run defense, they struggle to get the ball going if their run game isn't established early on. Are they overly reliant on Todd Gurley or was this something that they were trying to do tactically to take some of the pressure off their, while not rookie, essentially rookie quarterback? Let's discount that uh, that season under Jeff Fisher. <laughs> yeah, just discount Jeff Fisher completely. He never happened. Obviously, I'm biased because obviously I don't like the Rams because they're a divisional rival. But I just like, you know, you compare Carson Wentz, the development he's had in year two, and the way that he reads the field and the plays that he makes. And you look over at Jared Goff, who was picked before him, and you kind of still feel that Jared Goff, he's got the physical tools. Uh, to be a good quarterback, to be perhaps be a great quarterback. And when he plays well, he looks really well. But there's just always that sense with Jared Goff that when it comes down to the real complex stuff, making your reads, going through your progressions, understanding what when to throw it away, all those kind of things that require that kind of level of QB intelligence that separates the good quarterbacks from the great quarterbacks, that he's still a little bit lacking there. And it's not just because he doesn't know which way the, like, the sun is rising from. Like, it's just one of those situations that I think, like, you know, they have Todd Gurley. He's obviously been really good this year after a poor year last year. And obviously it's so tempting to just run it through him. And it makes sense. But there are, like, we know that in this NFC, they are stacked 
with defenses that will shut Todd Gurley now. And I just kind of get the feeling that the LA Rams haven't really tried to pull Jared Goff along enough mm. that when it comes to the show, like when a push comes to shove against the very best teams, against the Minnesotas, the Carolinas, mm. that they mightn't just be found out. So obviously I'm biased, but I think, yes, they are too reliant mm. to Gurley and that Jared Goff is not really quite there well, to, to, to kind of pull them out of the fire if they need him in the playoffs like this which is, they're likely to make this is the thing like they lose this game by 8 points and they have literally 65% of the offence that, that, that Philly have they have 300 total yards to, to 450 or something roughly around that level like they weren't getting anywhere near the offensive production that Philly were like but for some reason, just both these defences seem to have each other's number. How was it that we saw good defence? Like, like the third down efficiency rate for both these teams is terrible. You got 8 out of 20 for Philly. You got 2 out of 7 for the Rams. Also, 7 third downs. Jesus Christ, that's depressing. How is it that we see two good defences stifling what either of these teams do best, yet we still have, what, nearly 80 points scored in a game? Yeah, like obviously a lot of credit has to go to these offensive uh, talents. Carson Wentz uh, has been amazing this year, and obviously he's a good staple of running backs. And in LA, they've done really good things. Like Sean McVay is basically having to do the work of a quarterback and offensive coordinator and a head coach at the same time to get this offense going, it kind of feels like. But I think to a certain extent, these two defenses have kind of underperformed against the best teams consistently throughout this year like the Eagles obviously gave up a, sh- a crap ton of points to the Seattle Seahawks just one week ago the mm. LA Rams have given up a boatload of points to various teams uh, over the last few weeks including like Minnesota uh, they've had so like so both of them have had good performances as well like I think that the LA game against New Orleans but both of these defenses have been a lot more inconsistent than necessarily their reputation might imply uh, like the LA Rams they brought in Wade Phillips they have Aaron Donald who like Aaron Donald definitely not on him he actually still continues to be yeah. a freak of nature and I hate him because he's going to kill Russell Wilson probably but I think on the if you were to pinpoint the weaknesses in both I think both secondaries are still not elite secondaries the Rams have injuries so that's not completely due to the, the, the personnel it's due to injuries as well and on the I think on the Eagles side they've done the best with the players that they have but you know, like the players that they have aren't probably the best in the league at their various position. Like Ronald Darby's had a really good year, but I still don't think Ronald Darby is like one of the elite cornerbacks in the league. So I think both of them have really good front sevens, but I think both of their secondaries are a little bit uh, are a little bit weaker than a, a true elite off defense mm-hmm. ought to be. So I think both of these teams can be scored on, but they can score back. So maybe it's not an issue. So, but I guess I keep saying. Obviously, both these teams are very uh, favoured to end up in the playoffs, and that's where this will really matter. And that's what we're seeing in all these high-powered games in the NFC over the last few weeks. Yeah, no, because that's what I was about to say. What what makes this interesting is it means that while these are very good teams, very good personnel, I think they make they set up for very exciting playoff games, given the fact that they have ways to, to, to game around them. They have give and take on their teams. It's not going to be... If you remember the playoffs last year, there was a lot of very boring games after the first quarter whenever everything yeah. seemed pretty inevitable. it has a much more dynamic feel to a lot of these teams that they can find ways to play against each other which I think will be very fun although if these teams are going to have exciting finishes they should probably learn how to lateral better that is true that is true it was a very <laughs> yeah, very disappointing game a game ending lateral oh. straight into the hands of the defensive player for a defensive touchdown uh, they have one of the better special teams coaches 
it's kind of like maybe they should just put their special teams out there for that play. Yeah. <laughs> Here comes uh, the best game of the season so far: Indianapolis at Buffalo. The snow game. We're seven to thirteen in overtime. This was a, a hell of a game in which there were 18 completed passes in the entirety, including overtime. Yeah, I I, I loved every single piece of this. It was, I think by the end of the game, there was eight inches of snow on the the field. There was, I think, uh, just shy of a hundred rushing attempts in this game. Uh, LeSean McCoy went off on a hell of a game, 156 yards and a touchdown. Frank Gore, 130 yards, and he looked like a warrior by the end of it. There was blood all over his his top. It was dirty. It was it was fantastic. I love these snow games. These snow games are incredible. What was your favorite part? If ever there was a reason to you know try and fight climate change. It was this game where, <laughs> like, you know, we don't want to return some kind of age where there's no snow. Because this was just, like, the visuals, the feeling. Like, this is probably the one type of game that no other sport can replicate. No other sport has so little disregard for the health of its players that it would play in eight-inch snows during a blizzard anymore. And that's what makes the NFL <laughs> ridiculous. Like, oh, it has a 16-week league that has to play every week unless there's a literal typhoon running through the stadium. So, yeah, this was just amazing to watch, amazing to feel. And, like, you know, you see Shady McCoy, like, doing cuts in four inches. And even though they're, like, obviously 50% slower than his usual cuts, all the defenders are cutting, like, 75% slower. And all it took was, like, three or four huge runs. Every time he got through the first layer of the defense, everyone else is like, well, what do we do now? Run, please. Um, <laughs> So I, I have nicknamed him Slady McCoy. Ah, very good. Slay, as in the the thing that you say to drag queens, yeah. Yes, yeah. Queen Slay. Um, my, oh, the, the ending of this game was, well, I suppose not the ending, the ending of regular time in this game was something yeah. else. So uh, Indianapolis score the touchdown at the very tail end. They decide, fuck it, we're going to go for two, we're going to go for the win. They go for two, they get the two, and it gets called back on, what was it? Possibly one of the most questionable holding calls I've seen all year. It was like a yard from the line of scrimmage. It was completely okay. Uh, also, I doubt that the rest could really see shit at that point. Uh, <laughs> so it gets pushed back. They decide, right, we're going to have to kick the extra point and try and tie this game up. They kick the extra point. It looks like it's going wide. It goes in. Then they get the ball back. They charge down the field and they go for a last second field goal to win the game. It's no good. It goes wide. We get the overtime. It was just phenomenal. Uh, our Buffalo... Snowvertime? Snowvertime. Oh, ice, ice. So does this put Buffalo back in the hunt for the wild card? I would say no, because uh, I think they're terrible. But that was a really fun game. What's your thoughts on it? Well, I suppose the one thing we should notice that like this was a really fun game, despite the fact that the Buffalo Bills started Nate Peterman and then Joe Webb. <laughs> That's and true. I think in any other game in any other world or universe, the combination of Tyrod Taylor possibly being significantly injured, or, or basically his basically being injured, not being able to be as effective as on the ground, or Nate Peterman or Joe Webb. It's not perhaps a combination of quarterbacks to elicit uh, much enthusiasm from the fans, but like, yeah. So I don't like. I've never trusted Buffalo with that quarterback situation in flux. I don't trust them anymore. 
uh, I think the back end of their schedule, they have Miami twice and they have New England. Miami seem to have woken up for some reason, even though they're out of the playoff hunt, really. Yeah. And New England should be good enough to beat them. Uh, but, you know, even if they lose, at least the fans will have the memory where they go onto the field and they throw snowballs and they're just, like, jumping in the snow. Yeah. Really, just amazing scenes after the game. Uh, and, you know, you know, whatever about Buffalo season this year, and it's probably better than they probably could have expected, I think that's just the kind of game which, you know, people will have fond memories of that regardless of how the season ends for many years to come. Oh, yeah. So... At least they'll have that forever. That's true. Uh, like, this was such a good week. There's a couple of other games that we were contemplating, kind of trying to squeeze in here. We'll just give a quick reference to them. So, New Orleans and Atlanta, they played an incredibly exciting close game uh, with Atlanta coming out on top in the end. So, that keeps them all very live and sets up nicely for a follow-up game. Is it two weeks' time? Yeah. Seattle at Jacksonville, right down to the line. Just fantastic that was the one we mentioned got a bit messy at the end Jacksonville showing a bit of swagger and uh, <laughs> Blake Bortles talking shit after a game yeah, <laughs> that's like that's like the definition of like tempting fate right there Blake. yeah I, I, I'd wait on that oh god Green, Green Bay Cleveland Cleveland giving hope to their fan base and then pulling it away because they've Josh been a Gordon bad child hype. and they're getting no presents this Christmas and Josh Gordon TD hype oh yeah Josh Gordon yeah, it's incredible. Harry, Harry is not here to celebrate Josh Gordon, but yeah. I know he's, it's in his heart. Yeah, he is. He is. He is at home currently on an IV pad, uh, on an IV bag because he's dehydrated from so much spooging. Uh, and finally, New England at Miami. Miami pulling off an upset, taking on the the, the Titans of the AFC. Not the Titans, New England, but uh, they are the Titans in the truest form. Not just that we call ourselves that, even though we are in no way comparable to Titans. Yeah, Miami, what the fuck happened there? Uh, well, New England actually have a pretty bad record down in Miami. I'm sure Harry would say that if he was here. Yeah. Um, it's one of two places of, that they have a losing record there and mile high, isn't it? Yeah, and I think in, in terms of putting a you know just something to note, New England's offensive line looking a bit dodgy. Tom Brady has an Achilles injury, according to the injury report. Maybe there's something developing here, but I think we'll know a lot more after next week's game. So I suppose uh, with that, we'll move on. So, first up, we have Denver at Indianapolis. Uh, I've gone for Denver, and you two guys have gone for Indianapolis. Uh, This is going to be a terrible game, and I'm not going to watch it, and I advise all of our listeners to not bother watching it. Uh, I've gone for Denver because Denver are shite, Indianapolis are shite, Denver have some good pieces on defense. Yeah? Yeah. That's about it. I don't care about this game. Yeah, like Denver, they had a good game against the Jets, and I think they put Trevor Simeon back in, and... He's a competent quarterback, which is more can be said for Brock Osweiler and Paxton Lynch. But like, I, I think this is one of those guns that I really can't call. It's 50-50 for me, but I kind of like Indianapolis a bit more. And Chuck Pagano is looking pretty sad lately, uh, so I'd like to see him get something before he gets fired inevitably. Did and, you, uh, you, know, did you see I don't Ch- really care about John Elway as much. No, did you see Chuck Pagano... Uh... A follow-up to our to our chat a couple of weeks ago about his uh, Groundhog Day comments. He bought DVD copies of Groundhog Day and brought them in for the reporters, for all the reporters <laughs> who had never seen the film beforehand. He just don't give a fuck. Oh, he doesn't like. He knows he's gone. It's great. It's actually quite enjoyable to see him. He's just he just chilled now. Uh, next up, Chicago at Detroit. We've taken Detroit across the board. Um, yeah, like I suppose Detroit are the better team. They're in the hunt for stuff. They're going to play well. I kind of wanted to take Chicago just for the crack because, like I said, I just don't trust this Detroit team. But I suppose I trust them to take care of business against a Chicago team that like got a good week out of its run game. But that was all that was happening. Detroit, they have Matt Stafford. That should be enough. Mitchell Trubisky, 
still doesn't look like the real deal. Need another off season to really kind of get good. So uh, yeah. give it to Detroit at home. LA Chargers coming all the way up to Kansas City. Oh, this is a horrible one. This is a horrible one. I'm going for Kansas City and you guys are going for the Chargers. Harry has said he's gone for the Chargers because he always picks AFC West teams wrong and he wants to help me out. Thanks very much, Harry. Like, this is the one I, I was saying to you off air. Like, my, my head says the Chargers, my heart says the Chiefs. This is the season for both these teams because if the Chiefs win this we can lose one of the following two and we're fine because we've got the, the divisional uh, the drives this is a hard one to, to, to call tell me your, your Chargers thing apart from yeah, this, like, they're the hottest team based, based on form you'd have to pick the Chargers the Chargers over the last like month or so have seen the pick up the pace Philip Rivers is looking good Keenan Allen has seen the really gone off and kind of being the player that we were expecting to be at the beginning of the season. Even Melvin Gordon seems to have a bit of a turnaround uh, as the season has worn on. You know, don't aren't relying on Austin Eckler quite as much at the moment. That's usually a plus sign. So, uh, and the defense, we know Joey Boza, Melvin Ingram, their defensive backs. Overall, on paper, the Chargers are a really, really, really good team, and they finally started looking like they're as good as a team. They like, you know, it wouldn't be controversial to say they look like possibly the third best team in the AFC overall, probably kind of right in the hunt there with Jacksonville. And I think, you know, if, if, if you're basing on talent, if you're basing it on form, you have to give it to the Chargers. But it's in Kansas City, it's in Arrowhead, and obviously they're the Chargers. So mm. this isn't a gimme by any chance. We should have some good Saturday night football going on here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, actually. I haven't, I haven't stayed up for a Saturday night game in a long time. My rationale for Kansas City... Look, offenses look good for the last two weeks since Nat Nagy's taken over. The, 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 the play calling looking a lot more explosive, getting deep balls happening. Defenses look better. Like, we, we didn't bother our holes in the fourth quarter against the Raiders, but we did kind of just dismantle them. We've historically got the Chargers number. The Chargers have lost eight straight games against us. Like, we just tend to destroy them in this Andy Reid period. I'm just hoping that we can, that we can put it together. Like... Peters is back. He should hopefully have a bit more cop on following his... Like, it was the team that benched him for being a prick. And the... the now, we had some problems. The, 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 the safety who looked good, who came in, who we pinched off. You guys, I think. Uh, Terrell. He, yeah, he apparently got injured. He, he caught the game-sealing interception and was apparently injured. I don't know how it happened, but he's now gone to IR. So, yeah, like, there's, there's a lot can go wrong. I just, yeah, I've got to hope we're at home. It's a short week, although not that short, and we've historically got their number. Let's see if we can keep this thing rolling. Like I said, last time Chiefs went uh, 1-5, and five, they won 10 straight games. This year, we only need to win 7 straight games to win a Super Bowl. So, uh, to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Philly at New York Giants, uh, Philly across the board. Is this because of the Nick Foles hype? Uh, definitely. Nick Foles hype. Nick Foles is an amazing quarterback. No, it's because the Giants suck. And they, they, they kind of tried for a couple of weeks and now they're back to sucking again. Uh, I think they're all just spinning their wheels waiting for the next coach to come in. And Philadelphia have everything to play for with uh, like a, like the first round uh, the first round bye obviously on the line. Mm-hmm. But obviously also the first seed just to be at home throughout the entire playoffs. Which for a team which is now relying on kind of being ahead a bit more, that could make all the difference. So Philly should stomp this game. Uh, and for all those... Carson Wentz fantasy owners uh, hope they're all hoping Nick Bowles can put up a decent decent 
uh, performance against this poor New York Giants defense. He should do. I'm also hoping that he does because he's probably the one you're picking up and I need you to win your game to ensure I get to the playoffs <laughs> this year. As right, you. Cincinnati at Minnesota. We're taking Minnesota across the board. Why? Because Cincinnati are imploding and Minnesota still look really, really good. Like Cincinnati have uh, Joe Mixon coming back so it should give them a bit more balance on their offense. But it's still the thing where this Minnesota defense is very strong. The Cincinnati team is, well, I suppose, a streaky at best, but really just inconsistent would be what I call. Uh, they're also on the road, so Minnesota to, to lock that one up. Uh, Baltimore at Believe Land. Uh, we've gone Baltimore across the board. Uh, aren't Cleveland going to get that 0-16 perfect season parade? Well, they're really, really good at losing. Like, Jesus Christ, they're so good at losing. That's ridiculous. Uh, and obviously, you know, we mentioned the Ravens are actually starting to look a bit scary again. And, you know, obviously the the Browns have a bad habit of getting absolutely stomped by their fellow AFC superpowers. So I wouldn't give much hope to Cleveland. And if you're 0-16, the great hope is next week when they will be playing the Chicago Bears. Yeah. But don't give them much hope here. No. Uh, but it's Cleveland. You never know what's going to happen. Maybe there's random number generated away into a win here. Yeah. Josh Gordon hype. That's true, but no, Baltimore. Uh, Arizona <laughs> at the Mazungus. We've gone for Arizona across the board. As we said, Washington has reports coming out that the guys just aren't bothered anymore, that the team is essentially shut down. Arizona has looked better the last couple of weeks. They're getting production out of Gabbert. They've got a bit of production in the run game. Like, just overall, even though the Mazungas are at home, it just doesn't feel like their heart is in actually winning a game. Whereas, I think a lot of players in Arizona are old. I think the coach is old. I think there's a strong chance this is either the last run out for them or it's justifying them hanging around for an extra year for one last push. So I think they're much more interested in winning this than than, than the Washington team are. Green Bay, Carolina. Oh, we've got a bit of disagreement on this one. I've gone Carolina. Fitz has gone Carolina. Harry has gone for Green Bay. Uh, so Harry's put a note here. He's basing this entirely on Aaron Rodgers being back and them needing to uh, win. I don't know if it's a good idea for them to bring Aaron Rodgers back in for this game. Yeah, like his his shoulder is literally mostly a metal plate at this point. Things like- and you're going up against one of the most aggressive defensive lines in the league. It, it it you know, it's Aaron Rodgers, so anything is possible, of course. But there's obviously a very realistic world in which Carolina absolutely stomp him and he gets a hurt immediately and then suddenly his like his off season is ruined. Yeah, like uh, given how Carolina have played the last couple of weeks, I would be taking Carolina at home in this game. Like just their offensive philosophy seems to be working, their defensive philosophy seems to be working. Aaron Rodgers gives that X factor like the Russell Wilson bullshit magic kind of thing. But um yeah, I I, I suppose we don't know what Aaron Rodgers' recovery is like. Maybe he's absolutely fine. Those things can happen. They have very, very wide degrees of how long it takes to to heal a collarbone depending on where the break is, how bad it's broken, how quickly it knits together. So who knows? But uh, yeah, Carolina for the pair of us and Green Bay for Harry. Next up, the Jets at New Orleans. We're taking New Orleans across the board. Well, yeah, New Orleans... Uh, but tra- the transient property would suggest New Orleans are significantly better than Broncos. Broncos shut out the Jets... The Jets should not do well against New Orleans. But this isn't just the Jets. This is the Bryce Petty slash Christian Hackenberg Jets. Excellent. Are you ready to die? This will be uh, phenomenal. <laughs> Watch out for the hack attack. Wow, I am so happy I've got the New Orleans defense. <laughs> uh, pretty much targeting that in every league that they're available in fantasy. Yeah. Playoff 
fancy playoff tip. Pick up New Orleans defense against Christian Hackenberg slash Bryce Petty. Yeah, it's a good shout. Uh, Miami at Buffalo. I've gone for Miami. Harry's gone for Miami. And Fitz, you've gone for Buffalo. Buffalo are looking like they'll have Nate Peterman or Joe Webb at quarterback. Why are you picking yeah, Buffalo? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much putting this on the fact that, like, I know Miami played well this week, but they're still Jay Collar, still Miami. It's in Buffalo. We know that the conditions in Buffalo... Like, could you imagine Jay Cutler in a snow game? Yeah. That would be hilarious. Uh, I don't think it would be very effective uh, either, especially since like their best running back is Kenyon Drake, who's shown some stuff, but seems like exactly the kind of running back who would hate the snow. But I think, you know, for me, like, Buffalo's offense is a running game, so they'll just give the Shady McCoy 40 times, and that might be enough at home to do it. I don't expect this to be a very good game. It could very easily be low scoring, and uh, I give Buffalo a chance in that situation. Yeah. Uh, basically, uh, I don't know. Miami. But yeah, like if if it's Joe Webb, then yeah, I would probably pick this separately. So this is I'm actually relying on Nate Peter, <laughs> <laughs> which is a worrying so we'll statement. <laughs> like I think Miami are looking a little bit better. A few of them realize they need to play to get their contracts. I think Jay Cutler has suggested that he wants he's interested in playing beyond the season. He's not playing with Miami beyond this season, so he needs to showcase some bits. I think that's why he's trying a little bit harder. I have a funny. Do you hear my theory? My theory is that the Mazungas are going to fuck it up. That uh, quite like could, could could quite possibly be like a Miami who who pick him up who pick up uh, Kurt Cousins uh, or it could be Jacksonville. Or whatever. But then Mazungas are left with nothing. They don't know what to do, so they sign Jay Cutler. <laughs> I think Jay Cutler is going to play for Washington next season because I think they're going to have no other option. They'll have to draft someone and then play Jay Cutler to train the rookie up. You know, Colin Kaepernick's suit grows stronger every day. <laughs> but yeah, I just I just got this feeling that that's where he's going to end up. Jake is going to have like two decent games out of the last four, and then he's going to end up like signing a like maybe like twenty six million dollar two year contract or something, where he gets a lump up front and like fifty percent of his second year is guaranteed if they decide they want to bring in the rookie. Like, Washington are so incompetent, I could see them losing Kirk Cousins and ending up with, like, Josh McCown and Jay Cutler as their quarterbacks. Yeah, that's exactly that's, what that's I'm imagining. forward-thinking planning, you know? Oh, God. Yeah, that's, it's, it's worrying, but fun time. Houston at Jacksonville. We've taken Jacksonville across the board. God, imagine Houston if they hadn't lost their quarterback. But this is, this is a Jacksonville team that's looking really strong, really good defense, offense is firing. Even though this is an even-numbered week, I think it'll still be good, yeah? Yeah, pretty much. Fair enough. LA Rams. <laughs> uh, LA Rams at Seattle Seahawks I've gone Rams Harry has gone Rams you've gone Seattle uh, why Seattle other than homerism uh, yeah pretty much for the same reasons that you picked Kansas City on form LA Rams are probably in better form Seattle are likely to be at Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright but they're at home they have Russell Wilson and the LA Rams as we know like you know Jared Goff is exactly the kind of quarterback that in somewhere like CenturyLink where he can't communicate with his offense, where he's having issues in that sense, uh, maybe where it's more difficult to hear your coaches and I was going to say with that, with that instructions thing, yeah. That that's the kind of situation that we might see that Jared Goff still doesn't really understand how to play NFL-level football. Mm. Uh, but I think, yeah, like, you know, I think the LA Rams are our favorites. This is definitely a homer pick. But, you know, with Russell Wilson, with that, with that stadium, and with the defense mm. still having, you know, plenty of good players like Earl Thomas, like Michael Bennett, like Sheldon Richardson, who avoided suspension. They're, they're, they're still on paper, should have enough to be a decent defense. 
and maybe keep it low enough scoring that Russell Wilson can do his bullshit. Yeah. But yeah, the the Rams, like you know, the Rams are probably the favorite at this point, no, uh, especially with those two injuries to the linebackers. Yeah, uh, like I'll just add on to that. Like it's that thing of I can see exactly doing that. There could be issues with the noise, given that we've heard about how uh, Jared Goff is getting like kind of additional information. That's why they're running to the to the line so quickly and stuff. But. Um, I just, I just got a feeling Aaron Donald is going to feed. Like it's going to be, it's going to be a rough day for Russell Wilson bullshit magic because he's going to be being chased a lot. I think. Um, next up, Tennessee at San Francisco. We've gone for the 49ers across the board. Goat Rapolo hype. Yeah, like well, I was the first on the uh, Goat Rapolo hype train, uh, picking him two year, two weeks in a row and winning out two weeks in a row. Uh, Tennessee looked absolutely dog shit against the Cardinals. Uh, San Francisco are probably approximately good as the Cardinals right now. And Jimmy G, he knows how to win. He doesn't know how to score touchdowns as often as he should. But he's really good at winning games. Yeah. And like I said... like Pretty, pretty similar to Tom Brady. Yeah, this is this is based... like I, I'm liking the good Rapido hype trade. Uh, this is based almost entirely on my disregard for the Tennessee Titans. Like I said last week, I'm, I'm basically picking everyone who's playing against them. Like, I got a I got a hero pick last week on Arizona because it's like, this team is dog shit. Uh, New England and Pittsburgh. Uh, this is interesting. I've gone for Pittsburgh and you two have gone for New England. So give me the New England case, I suppose. Yeah, I think the New England case is... A, they traditionally are very good against Pittsburgh. I don't know, like, you know... Like, I, I'm not sure how much you should necessarily buy into like some teams are good against other teams like Pittsburgh are really good against Kansas City it's one of those historical ones but it just kind of feels that when the big games come up and Bill Belichick faces Mike Tomlin Bill Belichick seems to have Mike Tomlin's number as a as a defense as a coach basically and I think with New England there's definite worries along that offensive line with Tom Brady looking a little bit hurt that their offensive production has gone down. But they like Chris Hogan comes back, he's healthy, uh, he has another week to recover. They get back Gronk in this game. Uh, Rex Burkhead is starting to look really good uh, for them over the last few weeks, and Deion Lewis should be back as well. They have the offense, we know it can be great, and we know without Shazir, this Pittsburgh defense already looks a little bit vulnerable based on that Baltimore thing. So we know they're New England, we know they're good at winning, we know Bill Belichick generally has it over Mike Tomlin. I think, you know, I wouldn't, uh, like, I don't think picking Pittsburgh is in any way ridiculous. It's actually very reasonable, especially since they're at home. So this is just more a history pick, yeah. a Bill Belichick pick, because picking for like picking in favour of Bill Belichick is generally not a bad idea uh, over the course of a season. No, of course. Uh, like, I'd go with Pittsburgh here just because, like, looking at, they, how they've played the last couple of weeks like they are an offensive juggernaut even though they seem to be a bit slow to, to, to get rolling in some of these spots they have been focused in on this game for the last three weeks like I, I, I complained about it I said it was stupid I did not like their, their coach coming out and saying it but this is the game they know this is the game this is a definitional game for them if they win this they've locked themselves into uh, into the well they've locked themselves into a buy because they're going to be ahead of the New England Patriots and the only potential will be I think if they lose to lose out and Jacksonville win in then uh, then they could be the two to Jacksonville being the one like this is a huge game because this would be able to secure them home field advantage if they got to play the New England Patriots again so it's it's monstrous it's also very important to to New England but it's that thing of brown is in form Bell wasn't used a huge amount last week, so he'll be a bit fresher going into this game. Like their defense is missing Shazier, but like I don't know, it's it's one of those ones. I I'd like I know yeah. it's a stupid idea to pick against New England in any spot like this, but New England seem weak. 
Uh, on paper right now, I think you're right. This is just a but New England pick for yeah. me personally. No, no, that's fair enough. Harry would probably be the same. Pittsburgh on paper, on their form, based on what we've seen from New England the last couple of weeks, should yeah. win this, but... New England. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thinking Brown. Ag- bargain. <laughs> Brown against that New England secondary because it's been having its issues. Like it's just like if if Kenyon Drake can put up 125 yards on them, like what the fuck could Lev Bell do? Like there's just there's there's many ways this could this could work out. But we'll see. I think it's gonna be a very good game. Dallas at Oakland. We've gone for Dallas across the board. Yeah, Dallas looking resurgent. Oakland looking a bit shit. Yeah, pretty much. And Dallas. They're, they're like on that kind of playoff cusp. They can't afford another loss. So you think they'll come all out in the game before Zigelia comes back. Yeah. Uh, Oakland just looked really bad. But, you know, I, personally, I would love for Oakland to win. I know you would hate for them to win since it would just murk things up again. Uh, yeah. But... We're fine. Yeah. We're fine with them winning because that's that's not a huge issue because we've got the I think we've got the tiebreaker, yeah. tiebreakers anyway. But um, and then final game Atlanta at Tampa Bay. We've gone for Atlanta across the board. Yet another like Atlanta looking good. They can't afford to mess up. Tampa Bay looking fairly shite. Yeah, like and there's all, lots of rumors going out that Jameis Winston and Dirk Cutter have pretty much fallen out already. Dirk Cutter is probably for the chopping block. It looks like one of those teams that's probably just going to slide into the end of the season not doing much, especially with Jaron McCoy going to IR this week. That defence takes another hit. Yeah, Atlanta probably to stop this one. No, of course. Jaron McCoy, he's such a sound lad. He was great on hard knocks. Yeah. Yeah, he's <laughs> class. But yeah, that'll do it for these, these week's games. I was, I was very surprised when I found out that the Chiefs game was on a Saturday night as well. I was just like, hmm, it'll be interesting. Saturday night and I like the way it feels. Yeah. Go Chiefs Nation. Yeah, hopefully now it'll work out. Uh, You're not allowed to say Chiefs Nation according to Raiders fans. Blah, blah, blah. Well, 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 well. It's Chiefs Kingdom. Chiefs Kingdom. Yeah, but... Um, the it should be good. So I've got the uh, I've got the brothers landing back from the states now on Saturday uh, oh, nice. at like five a.m. in the morning. Well, he's gonna be jet lagged. Well, yeah. oh well, you stay up all night and then go to the airport. No, no. I'd say I'd say what it is. He, like he lands in Dublin at five a.m. So I'd imagine he'll just sleep on the red eye across and then not be too bad. Like he'll sleep when he lands as well. But uh, should be good. So I, the thing the thing that provides a great benefit for is uh, so on the Sunday the folks are coming down to Dublin and we're gonna all go out for a dinner thing because he missed his graduation and he qualified as an accountant. So we're all gonna go out for dinner on Sat on Sunday night. Uh, so the fact that the Chiefs are playing on Saturday night means I can definitely watch it all and not miss any. <laughs> <laughs> Even though at dinner you'll be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you'll be like, re- well, you'll be really energetic if they win, of course. Yeah, I to be honest, like it's that thing of, I think we're, like we're still in the we're still in the wild card hunt if we don't, but it's a it's a rough rough one. I don't know if we'd be able to make it to that point. There with you. We can't all be on the throne of ease. Yeah, yeah, it's true. (laughs) But uh, any crack with yourself this weekend? Well, I have the work Christmas party this Friday. Uh, Uh, Oh, I've got mine this Friday as well. Shit. Yeah. (laughs) That's two nights. I don't know. Yeah, so that's the the main thing. Uh, I might go... I have an eye checked on there, so I might go buying some new glasses as well. Oh, very nice. Exciting. Fun times. (laughs) Yeah, so I'll... uh, Yeah... Fuck it, I forgot about my work party. That'll be good fun. Uh, I think we do quiz then out to the pub. But yeah, no, uh, outside of that, nothing else wild or crazy planned. Just kind of getting stuff wrapped up for the for the Christmas period. So I suppose, uh, as always, we didn't get to your questions this week because we just had so many games to talk about. It was crazy. But uh, as always, drop them into us on the Facebook, Twitter, Pornhub, Etsy, I think Uber, probably. We're probably on Uber. Anything else that we're on? Call me a podcast there, please. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we'll be with you in five minutes. Uh <laughs> 
Uh, we're on uh, we're on Ethereum now uh, Ethereum. and Bitcoin. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, we're on Bitcoin. So just chain. just send your money to us, and we'll send you back three times as much. We promise. Uh, it's definitely not like the fucking tulip madness. Uh, but yeah, I suppose uh, that's bye from myself. Bye from Ronan. Bye. Uh, that's been all four quarters. We will chat to you next week. <laughs>